you know, when you're on an airplane, they always say, put your mask on first because you won't be able to help anyone else Mm -hmm. when the oxygen level is changing. It's the same idea when you think about, you know, trying to be productive and producing and helping others and and getting things done and meeting your goals, all of these pieces that we put so much stress on ourselves for, we're not able to do any of those things adequately or gracefully or, you know, proudly if we don't take care of ourselves. Hi, everyone, and thank you for listening to episode 27 of the Learn With Lulz podcast. On this episode, I spoke with Helena Politica, a registered psychotherapist and an old friend of mine from high school. We were actually on student council together back in the day. In our conversation, Helena and I talked about how anxiety can show up in your body and different ways to deal with it, how overdoing gratitude can lead to self-sabotage and how that's a common theme she's seeing in her clients during this pandemic, and why it's so important to tune into ourselves and to live authentically based on our own personal values. At the end of our conversation, Helena also shared some affordable and accessible resources for those who are looking to start therapy but who may not have benefits. Helena has always been such a sweet and kind angel, and I think anyone who's dealing with anxiety or who spends a lot of time worrying about what other people think about them will benefit from listening to this episode. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. You know, I'm so excited too. Um, So for our audience, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Helena Politica. Um, I grew up in Curtis, so that's how Caitlin and I know each other. And we did student cabinet together, which was, I think, how we became pretty close. Um, Right now, I'm currently located in downtown Toronto. Um, After my undergrad, which was criminology and psychology double major, I did a grad certificate program at Durham College. That was a year long. And with that, I had an internship. Um, And I decided it would be so great to spend the summer in Halliburton, my parents' cottage. So I I was able to secure an internship in Halliburton um, at a child, youth, and family mental health organization for the summer. Um, I ended up getting hired, so I stayed there, um, and almost for three years, actually. And that helped me get into my master's. So I um, actually right around COVID time was when my graduation was right as COVID was starting. So I just graduated recently from the master's in education in counseling and psychotherapy, um, at OISE, uh, which is part of university of Toronto. Mm -hmm. Cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So was that always the plan to, um, to become a therapist and to kind of pursue this field? Yeah, I think so. I think in um, my undergrad, I started to become really passionate about mental health um, and therapy. And I knew that um, if anyone who's listening to the podcast knows me, you may know that I ran my own swimming business in high school in oh, yeah. university, premium swimming instruction, <laughs> which still trickles into my present sometimes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think from that, I was really business oriented and entrepreneurial, and I just love that piece of it. Um, so that kind of ties into having your own practice because it's a lot of work, um, different sort of different aspects of work that are, are incorporated into actually providing psychotherapy. So yeah, I think I knew, I knew that I wanted to have my own practice and be in mental health. Um, 
definitely since undergrad and I've always known that I wanted to have my own business. So yeah, it's kind of cool to see everything come together after all of these years of school. Um, and now here I am, I'm registered. I've started my private practice. Um, so I'm doing that kind of part-time, maybe more than part-time. And I'm also working out of a clinic downtown, which is a big medical practice downtown. Um, mm -hmm. It's uh, like a holistic, sort of a holistic approach to health. So they have medical doctors, family doctors, um, naturopaths, Cairo, osteo, massage, and then me, psychotherapy. Nice. So cool. Mm. That's so funny that you're like swimming instructing contributed to like your career path now. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think <laughs> like however old was that like grade 11, grade 12, and then yeah, first, second, third year university. I had it for about four years, but again, it kind of trickled into my present. Like I still, like last summer I was teaching someone in Toronto that was like a like Ukrainian community friend of a friend that was like oh can you please teach my daughter and I was like oh, okay I was like <laughs> biking between school and work and and swimming so yeah I think I it's a lot of work and it can be stressful but it's like it's so rewarding and you get to shape things the way you want to shape things and I think I like that that mm -hmm. creativity piece too mm -hmm. like being an entrepreneur you mean yeah 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 that's cool um, what was it about mental health that you were so drawn to? I don't know if it, if like, of course I was drawn to it, but I feel like it kind of pulled me into the space. Like, I think I really enjoy, I've always really enjoyed working with people. And um, I think the power of being in a space with someone and just, you know, it's not always talk therapy. I use a um, not currently because we're virtual, um, but especially when I was working with children and youth, a lot of art and mm -hmm. play um, and tactile pieces in therapy uh, and meditation. So not always talk, but just to be in a room with someone for about 50 minutes or so and see that you can really make an impact or work together to create some sort of change and increase happiness and wellness in someone's life. It feels like magic to me. Like it is just like the coolest thing I can you know, I've learned whatever modalities and I've been trained in certain areas and experienced with different populations and all of that I can bring into a space and actually somehow like impact someone's life. I just think it's so cool. Yeah, that is super cool. I love that. Mm. Um, so what is like your main area of expertise? Like what are the main reasons why people come and talk to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, definitely a little bit of a variety of client populations that I currently deal with. Like I mentioned before, um, the first three years of my practice when I was in Halliburton were with children, youth, and families. So I did individual work as well as groups. And then I did psychoeducational groups as well. I also ran a mindfulness-based program out of the high school. So that was um, cognitive behavioral therapy, yoga, mixed martial arts, and meditation. Um, I also did crisis um, when I was there, lots of different things. So that's kind of where my experience started. Mm -hmm. um, with respect to modalities, if people are familiar, I was primarily trained in narrative solution focused and cognitive behavioral therapy, as well as some attachment based stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, what does yeah. all that mean? <laughs> Sorry? What does all that mean? Oh, they're just like different approaches, uh, ther like therapy approaches or um, like, I guess like schools of thought or bodies of knowledge or um, types of interventions. So there's like, 
definitely more popular interventions, like a lot of people have heard about cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT mm-hmm. or like psychoanalytic, like when you think of Freud. Um, but then there's, but there's really so many more different types of approaches or, or modalities or interventions that you can get trained in and get experience in. And that really can help shape it does shape the type of clinician you are and potentially the types of clients that you work for. Mm -hmm. Then after Halliburton, um, I came to Toronto and as part of my master's, I had a one year internship um, alongside my courses in my second year. And I ended up getting an internship at KMH, so the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, which is Canada's largest mental health hospital, mm-hmm. um, right downtown Toronto. And my area was actually um, problem gambling and excessive uh, behaviors. So gambling, um, excessive technology use, excessive, like any, yeah, excessive behaviors like shopping or spending or gaming or internet use. Um, but when I say that, that was sort of their uh, entrance requirement into our program, but it's never one thing. Mm -hmm. Humans are so beautifully complex. And I think that is the art side or the creative side of of doing this type of work because it's never one presenting issue. There's always lots of overlap. So they may have entered the program for gambling or porn addiction, but really there's substances, there's a history of trauma, there's um, other, you know, various diagnoses or not. So it's always, it's always pretty layered. So I think I have a lot of different experience with children, um, youth, as well as adults. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's so many different areas that you've been involved with already. Yeah, yeah. The one area that I'm sort of, I'm pretty passionate about, but don't have a ton of experience in, um, I've done a few trainings in, is couples work. So I'm really interested in family and couples work. So that's sort of an area of development for me right now. Mm -hmm. Cool. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so one thing that I really wanted to talk with you about today is anxiety. (laughs) Largely, selfishly, I'm like wanting to talk with you about it. Um, Yeah, just because I feel like it's uh, personally, at least for me, like a topic that's always been like in my life. And I feel like I look at people around me, like my sisters and my friends, and even though we've grown up in similar environments, I feel like I've always been way more stressed out than people around me. So um, from your professional experience, why are some people, um, why do they turn out to be more anxious than others? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, just to point out that anxiety is the most or one of two um, most common mental health struggles that people face. So that, and that goes alongside depression. So Mm -hmm. certainly there's a lot of pieces that can play into it, right? Like there is some biological base to our experiences of stress. Um, there's also early childhood experiences, you know, um, when we think about the type of support that we had growing up, the maybe traumatic or violent or painful events that happened, what was the support that we received around us? Do we have a reliable, trustworthy adult that we could, we can come back to or feel safe to, you know, explore the world? Um, Those definitely a piece of it is within our bodies chemically. And then a piece of it is history and how we've created these patterns of coping and understanding the world and how our bodies have been trained to react. And then, and then certainly what we're doing now, you know, the things that have happened in our lives and are happening now, 
and, and how we learn to, to process and cope and move forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the, sh- the short answer. Mm-hmm. So it's like a mix of like your history and also like a bit of genetics as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, depending on the person, you know, diet, even hormonal levels, like all these other pieces can play into how we respond to the world around us. Mm-hmm. True. And right now I feel like in so many ways, like the world has never been more stressful than it's ever been with like COVID and political tensions and social media kind of like exacerbating everything. Like, I feel like there's just so much going on. So what are some of the things that you would recommend to people to address their anxieties? Yeah. I mean, I think when we think about mental health in general right now, um, I was definitely, you know, I knew the pandemic was going to come up in this podcast. I started thinking about that and I started thinking about the changes that I've noticed in, in, in people around me, but also specifically my clients. And I think we've all had, we all had lots of stressors before the pandemic, you know, like all the normal stressors, whether they're like happy stressors or bad stressors. And then you add this whole other layer to that. Mm -hmm. And it just like, everything just like multiplies. It feels different. It feels, it can feel more intense. Maybe we're more withdrawn, like whether we acknowledge it or not, or we, we feel, we feel the differences or the changes or not. The pandemic is totally adding a whole other layer. It's like, like tinting the shade of what we're seeing almost. Mm Yeah. Yeah. What did you ask? <laughs> um, so what are some of the things that um, people can do to address their anxiety, especially right now with everything that's happening? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, kind of, I, I kind of was thinking about, yeah, I, was, I think this is where I was going. I was thinking about themes of, of things that are coming up right now, especially with the pandemic. And then I also have like kind of like some key ideas of what we can do to take care of our mental health in general. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that's come up, I, I will get to your question, <laughs> um, but one thing that I've noticed that's come up a lot is, um, feelings of guilt. So I think like, which can certainly leave, lead to anxiety and stress and like in, impacting our mental health mm-hmm. for sure. Um, of course, a lot, all of us are familiar with the, the idea of gratitude and I think gratitude is, is, is so important right now and always. Um, and it's great to be appreciative of the things that, that we do have, but I think especially during a pandemic, we, we just need to be grateful and appreciative that, you know, we're getting out of bed, that we can eat, that we breathe, like those basic, those basic pieces. Um, but something that's coming up right now a lot is this feeling of guilt. So gratitude is actually working against us. I've heard so many people say, um, I have this, this, and that, and I should be grateful for these things. And so many people have it worse. How could I complain about my life in any way when people are struggling with so many more challenging and painful things? People are dying. People are sick. You know, um, I, I'm so privileged compared to other people in, in different um, uh, intersectional identities. You know, maybe... Um, I'm better off economically or my race allows me or my gender allows me to, to, to experience privilege and power in different ways. And I think these things are all valid, 
But in turn, we end up invalidating our own feelings and ignoring our needs and downplaying the importance of our mental health and happiness because we think, I should be so grateful. How can I complain? And then that then turns into us not actually caring for our, ourselves. And, and, and I think that can make us more anxious and stressed because we're not attending to our needs because we, we should be grateful, but then we end up struggling with our mental health and wellness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I feel like whenever like you're anxious and you look up, like you Google what you should do, like it always says to practice gratitude. And I feel like I've definitely like gone overboard with trying to make myself feel grateful that I just end up feeling so guilty because it's like, oh my gosh, like I have it better than so many other people. Like, why do I feel this way? And then like, it can just end up making you feel bad and worse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. Like gratitude can be a great tool, but when we're focusing on it too much, it can, it can be self-sabotage, you know, like there have always been people with less than you and there always will. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think definitely COVID has enhanced, enhanced these feelings of, wow, I am really better off than a lot of people with especially all these movements, movements going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and while we should be grateful, we're still allowed to be sad that our wedding didn't happen or we couldn't go to someone's funeral or we had to move out of our apartment or we have student debt or my, my work environment is toxic or, I went through a breakup or I'm angry at my partner. Like these feelings are still valid. And by pushing them away, we're actually causing more buildup in ourselves. Like I I have two analogies that I often share and I often use myself. One of them is this kettle. Like we just add these pieces into this kettle and our stresses are building up. And at one point, if we're not slowly releasing them by taking care of ourselves and attending to our needs and figuring out how to cope, um, then that kettle explodes And the other one is uh, cups, like everyone has a cup and someone, you know, my cup may take like a few medium sized items and like a few small ones to fill up. And that is my max. I can't, I can't give back. I can't support others. I can't, um, I'm not taking care of myself because the cup is just like overflowing. Other people, it may take like one item to fill up that cup. Someone else, it may take like a thousand little things that, you know, when you look at them objectively, you're like, these are so silly and small. How can I possibly be upset about this? Mm-hmm. Your cup is just full. You've had so many things or maybe a few things that have filled your cup and you're at your max. And I think it's important to think about like, where's our cup at or where's our kettle at and what are we doing to release those things or take care of ourselves? Mm-hmm. And what needs do we need to attend to? Because if we're not taking care of ourselves, then we can't help those that are worse off than ourselves. We can't contribute. We're not, we're not being our best or doing our best. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, gratitude can definitely work in a self-sabotaging way. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we're relying on it too strongly perhaps, mm-hmm. and comparing. Um, and definitely that sense of guilt has come up so much with, with clients lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I feel like I've experienced that, yeah, myself, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are, yeah, I love those analogies. What are some of the things that people can do to, um, to kind of empty their cups a little bit? Yeah, so I think the one thing, um, the first thing is noticing 
the signs and symptoms of when you're in an unhealthy mental state. So I think when you think about someone that's anxious or stressed um, or struggling, there's a lot of common signs and symptoms that come to mind, but maybe less common signs and symptoms that you may not think of are signs of mental health struggle or stress could be um, changes in sleep and energy levels. Like this sounds like an obvious one, but if you notice that changes are starting to occur with these signs and symptoms that I'm going to list, it's kind of a, it's kind of like a signal. Okay. I need to pause and then I need to start taking care of myself and tuning into my needs. So um, yeah. Are you feeling rested when you are sleeping? If you're sleeping a lot, do you wake up refreshed or if you're sleeping a little bit, are you feeling refreshed? Are you always exhausted? If there's been changes in your energy levels and your sleeping patterns, that's a sign that you're not, something is up and, and your needs need attending to. Um, if you're not able to focus, if you're being less efficient in whatever you're, you're doing, whether that be work or you know taking care of kids or even just like doing daily tasks at home, if you're kind of like showing up physically, but mentally you're not able to actually produce or things are taking longer than they normally do, that's a sign of you know, mental distress. If you're feeling less motivated to do things, even with things that you actually hold, you know, very close to you, things that you really uh, value in your life, if you're feeling less motivated to engage in those things, um, that can be a sign of mental distress or stress or anxiety. Um, if you have increased errors in things that you're doing, you're fe- feeling more irritable, more sensitive than you typically are. Um, if you're increasingly frustrated at people or yourself, even suspiciousness. So even thoughts around is what are this, what is this person's intentions? Um, what is this person thinking? What are they doing? Are they trying to um, hurt, hurt me on purpose? These types of thoughts. So, and you know, there's, there's a few other ones. I, I'm listing these because they may be, may be less obvious. I'm not sure. But noticing that you're in an unhealthy state, I think, is the first step. And then I think, well, I have a list of a list of things that we can do, but I think another big thing that comes up for me is listening to your body. I think our bodies, and obviously we've, a lot of us have heard our minds and our bodies are so connected. We're holistic beings. Of course, of course, there's so, but there's so much more research about this now than there ever has been. Like things are popping up every day around, um, even being able to change the way that the brain is wired, like neuroplasticity and um, yeah. And just how much our like different parts of the brain are connected to stress are connected to our past and our ability to say no to things, our bodies holding trauma and stress, um, even like autoimmune diseases, a lot of the roots are unknown. And there's a lot of research that is now stating um, it's actually connected to trauma and stress. Um, so yeah, tuning into the body, um, I find is so key, you know, uh, some people have, you know, IBS can be connected to stress. People have skin reactions, their eczema acts up or, or their, um, what is that called in your head? This on your scalp, um, on your scalp. Yeah. Like dry skin on your scalp. Oh, dandruff. Yeah, dandruff. People can have more dandruff if they're stressed. Yeah, yeah. all these, all these things. Like, you know, what is your digestion like? Are you um, 
um, someone close to me, I'll just call her out my sister. I think when she was a little stressed, she had a reaction to a Band-Aid. She has worn Band-Aids her whole life and all of a sudden her, her skin is now reacting to something that has has often been placed on her body. Hmm. Um, yeah, so I think tuning into your body and even like listening to your gut. Are you holding stress in your chest? Are your muscles and your shoulders really, really tight? Um, how's your, how is your stomach being? You know, any abnormal sensitivities, I think are really big signs of stress. So, so A, figuring out what those are for you and B, um, tuning into when they do happen and, and using those as signs that, okay, some I'm overwhelmed right now, or I'm stressed. I'm not taking care of my mental well being. I need to act now <laughs> and figure out what I need so I can heal and be better so that I can function and, and, and be productive and be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a knowing the sort of signs and symptoms of what mental distress or unhealthy mental well-being can look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is, is listening to your body. Another thing I would say is it's kind of a mindfulness based approach as well as if anyone's familiar with acceptance based, um, based therapy as well. Um, acceptance and commitment based therapy um, is just accepting where things are at in, instead of trying to change them. So um, I think our mental space can get like so full and so it can go on tangents and it can, it can spiral so quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, if you can relate to that with anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> so tuning into that mental space and, and, and just kind of accepting what things are, where things are at right in this moment. And, you know, it's, it's obviously harder said than done, you know, like we can't change the past, but yet we're like, Oh, I'm having regret about this. Like, what if this happened? If I just said this, this wouldn't be this way. Um, and we get so stuck and we, we often ruminate like ruminating is so, so, so common, especially with those that um, experience anxiety. So accepting where things are at right now and catching yourself when you start to think this way. Um, and labeling that as a thought. So I'm having the thought that this doesn't mean it's necessarily true. Just because we think it doesn't mean it's the truth. Um, our, our brain is just playing tricks on us. Like our brain has millions of thoughts every day. And sometimes when we're anxious and stressed, those thoughts can really spiral and be so unhelpful for us. Um, so acknowledging that it's just a thought, it's not true. Um, and even trying to to um, this is where CBT can be helpful for some people, cognitive behavioral therapy, finding evidence against those thoughts can be helpful for some. Um, and also just giving some grace, like we're still in a pandemic, <laughs> like nothing is normal. Even if we feel like our life hasn't super been impacted. I mean, I don't know many people, some people feel that way, but it's, we're still in a pandemic and giving ourselves some grace. If, if your friend or family member was struggling the compassion that you give to them is often kinder and more generous and more loving than you would ever give to yourself. So mm-hmm. just like giving yourself a little bit of grace in the way that you would someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. That's so interesting. Like, why are we so nice to other people, but then in our heads, like so mean to ourselves? 
yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, it's like our brains just like can, and a lot of it can be learned and, and picked up from social media and, and growing up. Like we have these embedded patterns of thinking from when we were, from when we were younger. And if we haven't actively explored and reflected on them, they can be really difficult to break. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and this whole idea of, I don't know if you've heard this, but um, you know, when you're on an airplane, they always say, put your mask on first or, because you won't be able to help anyone else mm-hmm. when the oxygen level is changing. It's the same idea when you think about, you know, trying to be productive and producing and helping others and, and getting things done and meeting your goals, all of these pieces that we put so much stress on ourselves for, we're not able to do any of those things adequately or gracefully or, you know, proudly if we don't take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes you got to be selfish and it's actually not selfish to be selfish because it actually benefits other people. Totally. Like it's, it's not, yeah. I mean, however, whatever the connotation is around the word selfish, the important piece is really like, what are my needs? Are my needs being met? Because if they're not, I can't actually do things for anyone, including myself. Mm-hmm. Another um, thing um, that that is sort of a piece that can help us with our mental distress or anxiety is thinking about what has helped in the past and how to bring that in now. So obviously, you know, trying to develop coping strategies and um, tools to deal with our anxiety or stresses or, or any, any mental health concerns. Um, it can be hard and, and, and it takes brainstorming and energy and work. And, and sometimes we can't do it on, on our own. Sometimes we do need help of, of a therapist or a friend or a journal. Mm-hmm. So thinking about what's worked for you in the past when you were in similar situations or in, in, in previous scenarios where you felt discomfort or painful emotions and what helped you feel better, what helped you get through that, um, what helps you process? What helps get your needs met? And start sort of doing this brainstorming of what's worked in the past and how we can bring it into the present. And maybe some of these, those things need some updating or tweaks, but it's a great place to start your brainstorming and adding those things into your daily routine or your weekly routine, um, as well as, you know, asking people what works for them, or maybe the internet has some ideas too, or exploring ideas in therapy, because there's certainly an endless amount of ways we can cope, an endless amount of tools that we can use, we just may not be familiar with them. So mm-hmm. yeah, A, going into the past and seeing what's worked before and B, exploring new ways um, that can work now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um do you feel like as a therapist that there's kind of like an expectation that you are always like calm and like your mental Yes. <laughs> that is my pet peeve. I swear I get so angry. I get so <laughs> angry. People are like, you're a therapist. You should know better. You're a therapist. You should be calm. Or you're a therapist. Like, like you should, you should know how to listen better. And oh my God, it bugs me so much because it's so separate for me. Like certainly elements of my personality overlap, but the way I am with clients is completely, (laughs) I don't want to say completely, but it can be very different from how I am with people in my personal life. This is why therapists don't, are not allowed to work with people that they know because I'm so emotionally charged and involved and connected to people in my personal life versus clients Mm -hmm. that yeah, I wish that I was able to use all my skills as a therapist in my real life, but that's not real. It's not reality. Yeah. 
I definitely have like resources, like maybe more readily available than other people and some tools and worksheets that I can pull out for myself. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh God. I imagine that would be so annoying. Oh yeah. (laughs) So what are some of the things that you do to prioritize your mental health? Mm, Yeah. So this kind of can add to the list. So I think, um, really exploring the things that bring you happiness and joy, whether that's like the smallest little thing, like a scent or a food or even maybe something much bigger, or also exploring things that help distract me from uncomfortable emotions. So I think knowing what brings me joy and trying to put that into my day and my week really helps um, stabilize uncomfortable emotions or stresses. Mm-hmm. So you think, yeah, making a list of those things, exploring those things, figuring out how to implement them in, in your day, mm-hmm. I think um, really helps me. Um, and um, also a big thing that I think is super important that not everyone does or needs to do more of is giving yourself the time and space to tune into how you're doing. I think that even if we're not, ext- we can be extremely busy and have a million things in our schedule or not have anything in our schedule and just end up doing whatever all day long, all week long, all month long or year long, Mm -hmm. but we don't actually intentionally set time aside to tune into ourselves and ask ourselves how we're doing, how our body is feeling, if our needs are being met. And I'm so guilty of this. Like I can go so long and not actually be like, how am I actually doing? Like, I love when friends say, no, but how are you actually doing? And then I'm like, whoa, I'm actually not okay. (laughs) Um, But if we, it's almost, it's way more preventative if we set time aside or intentionally schedule activities that help us tune into ourselves Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. So whether that is, um, scheduling a girl chat once a week or once a month or making an appointment with a therapist on a regular basis or setting some time aside in my day or my week to do some journaling actually spending like I don't know more than a few minutes but you know between a few minutes and an hour once in a while to tune in Mm -hmm. to yourself and see where you're at I think that can be really preventative and important Mm -hmm. yeah I like that for sure yeah I've been I've started to um, to do that in my schedule in different ways. Like, yeah, I've been seeing a therapist, which I feel like has been pretty helpful. Although I have switched to a new therapist because my original one went on mad leave and I don't love her as much as I love the other one. Yeah. Um, I followed that on your Insta. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> what do you do when you have like a new therapist and you don't feel like it's going that well like (laughs) you need to switch therapists so I think I actually had an experience and I think this is important to share because I'm very passionate about it Mm -hmm. therapists are like doctors are like you know like we're professionals but the relationship it's different in that you have the flexibility it's not easy to find a family doctor let me tell Mm you but there's so many therapists out there and I will definitely get into some resources at the end of the podcast but you are paying for this service or you're getting this service through benefits or whatever. It's your right to feel connected and feel safe. The actually the primary factor in successful psychotherapy or therapy or counseling is the, is the relationship, believe it or not. It accounts for more than 65% of success rate in therapy. So if you're missing that connection, if you're missing that rapport, 
I don't want to say you're wasting your time, but you can definitely be more productive and get more out of the therapy session if you get along and really connect with your therapist. It doesn't even matter. This stat includes, you know, therapist skills, training, education, all those factors. The primary factor in in successful or meaningful psychotherapy is the relationship. So my advice to you is just get a new therapist. It's time, move on. Like, and it's okay. It's not a personal thing. It just, you know, professional therapists know that you're not going to match with every client. And and that's a big reason why I do um, free consults. Like if we're not a good match, then um, I I have lots of connections to refer you to or networks to refer you to. And that's totally okay because it is the most important factor. Mm -hmm. True. Oh God, I feel so bad though. (laughs) Yeah. So I actually, I have a story and and I think the reason why I'm passionate, well, it's my field, but I'm passionate about sharing the stories because I know what it's like to have a bad therapist. So um, I switch, I've had a few, a handful of different therapists now. And I also think it's healthy to switch therapists because you get different approaches, different perspectives. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's actually not good to stay with the same person for years. It's better to like go into therapy, learn, grow, build tools, take a break, come back, meet someone, have another therapist. Um, so it's actually good. I think it's, I advocate for switching therapy therapist in general but anyways I went to go meet a new therapist and um, me being a psychotherapist (laughs) I have all this training and and I know the rules but also like how to sort of you know I know what a good therapist is I like to think and I I know this from my training and my first session with this fellow will not list names. <laughs> um, it was terrible. Aww. It was terrible. He was like talking about himself all the, the whole time. He wasn't really asking me a lot of questions about me. He was like, oh yeah, I can relate to that because I was a student here. And he said, he gave me homework that did not have to do with what I was talking about at all. Like it was, he didn't even ask me my goals or what I wanted from therapy. It was honestly, it was a nightmare. If, if I had to like reenact a bad therapy session like for a play it would it would have been that (laughs) yeah oh that's so annoying yeah and it was my first session and I felt so guilty I felt like oh my god like he wants me to rebook and I'm just gonna say I have to look for my I have to check my agenda when I get home and then I'll call back that's what I said Mm -hmm. and then I ended up emailing the clinic and saying I'm sorry like he just wasn't a good fit for me um And they totally understood because they're all in the field too. But I felt terrible that I had to do that. And I just had one session. And and as as guilty as I felt and as uncomfortable as I felt, I had to do it. A, because I'm cheap and I didn't want to keep paying. (laughs) And it's kind of a waste of time. Like this is for me. It's not for him. So if it's not a good match, it just it's uncomfortable conversation, but it, you just need to rip off the bandaid, honestly, and, and find someone new um, because it really is the most important piece of um, successful therapy. Yeah. Oh God, you're right. I should do it. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, you don't have to be totally honest. Hopefully your therapist doesn't listen to your podcast. Um, Yeah. Yeah, But like, like, oh God, (laughs) it can be any number of reasons. Like, oh, I'm feeling like I, you know, I don't want therapy anymore. Or, you know, I'm feeling like I need to switch or I need a break or financially I can't right now. Like you you don't always have to tell the hundred percent truth. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's fine. You need to move on. Yeah. Okay, you're right. <laughs> I'll send an email later today. Good for you. I'm going to follow up with you. Thank you. I'm going to keep you accountable. Okay, thank you. Oh, God. It's going to be okay. Oh, man. Um, do you think that everybody should go to therapy? 
Um, so I'm a huge advocate for therapy, obviously. And I think everyone can benefit from therapy. A lot of people don't want to do therapy and like, we have to respect their decisions. It's just like, everyone doesn't want to eat a vegetarian diet and we have to respect that. Right. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to down to it, it's, you everyone just needs to take care of themselves. Everyone deserves to take care of themselves. Everyone deserves to be like healthy, well, happy, live a fulfilling life. And if you're, if I think if you're struggling and you don't know where to go and you don't have the right support and you're not actively working on yourself in, in whatever ways, I think therapy can be a really great starting point and it can be a really great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely recommend it to everyone knowing that you may not match with your first therapist and to give it more of a, a chance Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think everyone should try, um, because it can be really great, but I mean, you can't, I wish I could force everyone to do it, but also it's, it, it's hard. Like sometimes talking is not the right way that's going to help someone process and, and grow. Right. So finding whatever supports work for you, um, in what fits for you. So talk, talk therapy sometimes isn't isn't the best route for everyone and and that is like a consideration for a lot of reasons like culture um, religion um, spiritual practices like finances like accessibility is a huge thing but also when it comes to healing what does healing even mean to you um, individually like with respect to your culture upbringing and, and religion so yeah I think therapy can be really great and can work for a lot of people but finding the right therapist, but also finding, yeah, what helps you heal. It might not be therapy for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. And there are like a lot of resources online nowadays, which can be helpful to people. Mm -hmm. Um, Therapy is not the route that they want to take. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. One other thing that I wanted to talk about um, um, is just like we're, approaching 30 so I feel like the big (laughs) sources of anxiety right now can be comparison um just like so many people are like getting engaged and starting families and buying houses so I feel like it can be super easy to just like log on to social media and see what other people are doing and get stressed out about it um, Mm -hmm. and feel like you're behind um so what kinds of things would you recommend to people um, to do to not be so worried about that? I feel like mm-hmm. the questions I've been asking you have been so selfish and like... No, it's good. Like, I think a lot of people can relate. And I, I didn't listen to um, your podcast with Steph because um, I know you guys talked about that. I think I didn't want to listen to it because I didn't want to get the same ideas or say the same yeah. things as her. But I think it's so valid. And, and I, I feel it so much with people in my personal life as well as clients because mm-hmm. there is so much societal pressure around doing all these things and meeting these milestones and our age. And like, Mm -hmm. the thing is things, things have changed. Like the things that were important back then, we don't need some of those things now. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the purpose that things um, were created for then we don't really like the purposes of those things have changed. Like, you know, marriage and having kids, a lot of it was like survival and, and, you know, tradition and these pieces, but we have different things that are important to us now. So I think, um, I I actually, I did think about this a little bit before. Um, 
I, I, re I just started reading um, a Glennon Doyle book and I have some reading recommendations that I can share at the end. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of her, but there's one quotation that sticks out to me and she says, what is the truest and most beautiful story about your life that you can imagine? And using this as a blueprint for your life, like using your imagination and your dreams as a blueprint for how you actually, you actually want to live, not what your family is telling you, not what society is telling you. And for sure, we all can understand or acknowledge or relate to the pressures that we feel from people around us because it's so real. Mm -hmm. um, but do those things actually make you happy? Are they for you? Where are those pressures coming from? Tuning into what your, va your values actually are and how are those values shaped? Did your parents implement those values for you? Were you taught those values? Do you actually accept those values? Like deep down, what are your values based on all the knowledge and experiences put together? Mm -hmm. What's really important to you? Um, so I think like it's, it's your life. Like just because someone else is satisfied that you're married or having a kid and buying a house, like that's not who we're living for. We're not living for other people to be like, Oh, that's great. You're doing this. Like you're living your life for you. It's only your, it's your one life. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we don't get a second chance at it. So if we're not living like authentically towards our values and our needs and our dreams, then I don't believe that we're hundred percent happy and we all want to be happy. I think. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> so, I mean, if that's the case, then we, it's, we can't ignore <laughs> all these pressures for sure, but acknowledge, like maybe like labeling them as pressures and expectations and um, things that had different purposes in the past, but don't maybe fulfill those same purposes or needs now. And, and living out your dream and the things that make you happy because I mean, you don't want to have regrets. That's the one, you know, the one thing people talk about when they're passing away or they're at end of life is, mm -hmm. is not, oh, I really wish that I got married or I wish I bought that house or I bought that car or had a dog. No, it's like, it's all about the connections and the experiences and the love and the relationships and what they really valued at their core, if they fulfilled that or not. Mm -hmm. Yes, 100%. Oh, I love like the motivational talk right now. It's my favorite. <laughs> and I agree 100% about regret. My, I was um, at a cottage with my family on the weekend and my brother-in-law was like, what's your biggest fear? And I was like, dying with regret. And he was like, oh, like, I meant like heights or spiders. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Hmm, yeah. And it's, it's so true. It's so true. Like, it's so it's harder said than done. And I think we're almost just like, we can be like robots, just like completing the tasks that we need to complete, going through the milestones that society expects from us. But are those robots, like, the thing is that robots are humans and like happiness is so important, right? Like, are we happy? Are you happy? Are you getting your needs met? Are you following your dreams or are you just doing what you're told to do? Mm -hmm. Yes, so true. And also like the people that you see on social media who are like posting all these great happy pictures, it's like you also don't know if they're actually feeling that way. Like, oh, for sure. They're not. <laughs> yeah. People like, post the highlights. 
Yeah, yeah. I think um, I saw what Chrissy Teigen just lost a kid. I don't, I don't really follow celebrities, but the fact that someone posted something so real and so sad and painful, I think is a shock to social media. Like some people are like saying nasty comments and this and that, but it's like, no, like bless for being real. This is real pain. This is real life. And a lot of social media obviously is like performance, right? And, and trying to look our best and um, yeah, it's, it's not authentic sometimes. There's obviously a lot of authenticity and compare, like, you know, those like dual pictures that show like real reality versus Instagram. And, and certainly that, that can help. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's really important to be, and that, that it's the word selfish comes up, whether the connotation is negative or not, but tuning into yourself and listening to yourself and what you need and what makes you happy um, because it's, it's your life and you deserve to have a fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. And yeah, I, I saw the Christy Teigen's post and yeah, people were giving her a lot of shit for it, but also it's like, people who can relate to what she went through, like appreciated that so much. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. And I think actually that's something that I love about how you use social media because I love, because this is, I I do this too sometimes and I love that you do it. Oh, I just went to therapy or had a session or that. And I just like, I love that realness because actually like so many people do go to therapy, but no one really talks about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's obviously just one example, but I just think it's so important to be real and, and, you I think people really appreciate it when they see it mm-hmm. thank you yeah and it's it's I feel like a lot of people have messaged me too which has been really nice like saying that um they've like considered going to therapy but like just felt so weird about it so mm-hmm. um yeah to like see other people talking about it has been helpful so yeah it's nice to to be real <laughs> yeah yeah likewise I'll echo that like I have been a little bit more quieter on my, my professional Instagram, but um, when I did, when I was posting on my own personal Instagram about mental health and stuff, I actually, I couldn't believe I had the most random people reach out to me and thank me. Like yeah. I actually had someone from our high school reach out to me and say this, I actually gave this to a friend um, when he was in crisis. Like, thank you so much for, for posting these crisis resources oh. and like just random people reaching out, Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, and having comments like that. And I'm like, wow, like probably half the people don't even like message me back or comment, but mm-hmm. you know, just putting it out there in, in the universe, I think can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so too. For sure. I feel like I've also like really been um, changing who I've been following on Instagram, which I feel like has been really helpful um, for me. Like I have kind of like stopped following so many like celebrities and people who like edit their pictures so much and I follow like so many more like inspirational people and people who are just more honest and I feel like that has really been helpful to my own mental health. Yeah yeah and along that line just following people that are more similar to you like same skin color same like socioeconomic status same field same like people who are you know similar um demographically as you that are also preaching important values that you connect with Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like that's Mm -hmm. definitely been helpful to to follow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah okay well I think I've asked most of the questions that I've wanted to ask you um is there anything that you wanted to add or talk about at all um I I 
just had a list of resources I thought I should put out there (laughs) since we're talking about mental health. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think when it comes to finding a therapist, obviously price consideration is, can be a stressor. So I'll just put out a few resources. So affordable therapy network, Toronto, they have a list of clinicians that provide low fee and sliding scale services and everything's virtual now. So you don't have to be in Toronto. Mm -hmm. These are actually all virtual (laughs) resources. Um, Psychology today is a great, starting point for finding therapists and you can look for therapists that offer sliding scale and you can also search by different like topic areas or or client populations or issues so that's helpful instagram can be a good tool following therapists um they can provide resources on their own or just like thought-provoking posts around mental health Um, there's also a lot of training centers that have students providing therapy for low fee, which I think really increases the accessibility for therapy. And I'm actually seeing a therapist from one of these places. So there's TERP, which is Toronto Institute for Relational Psychotherapy. They have student therapists. And I think actually their sessions are like $25 or something. Oh, so oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's, yeah. Yeah. Obviously like some people have wait lists, but like it's worth Um, at least getting your name in there and connecting to these places. Um, The Gestalt Institute of Toronto, so G-E-S-T-A-L-T, they have student therapists. That's where my therapist is currently. Um, And then OISE, so that's where I went to school. So people that are graduating with their master's in counseling and psychotherapy or clinical psychology, Ontario Institute for Studies and Education, which is part of U of T. And then there's also a lot of collectives that you can look up online or via Instagram and they offer um, reduced rates for people of different populations um, or identities as well as sliding scale therapists. So those ones that I, there's just a few that came to mind that there's many more, but these are the ones that came to mind. Healing Collective, Mindful Maelstrom, Hard Feelings, The Well Collective, Open Path Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those are sort of resources to get connected to a therapist and hopefully more affordable for you. And then there's also trainings that you can, um, be a part of, um, if you want to learn more about mental health and just like supporting people through mental health. And those are safe talk is a popular one, assist, um, and mental health crisis intervention training which i'm actually facilitating (laughs) through a meditation studio downtown um but yeah those are some options and then if you know if you want like lists or other resources you can always follow me on instagram and i have um, some resources in crisis crisis contacts in my highlights and that is what's your instagram it's helena p therapy so h-a-l-y-n-a-p therapy t-h-e-r-a-p-y Cool. Thank you. So many helpful things, especially I like all the um, like affordable therapy options because I feel like so many people who I've talked to like have said like, oh, I would, but I just don't have the money. expensive. Yeah, totally. And I feel the exact same way. So I think the more that we can spread the word about these collectives and like affordable therapy options is makes accessible for for more people. So I just I needed to I needed to share those resources. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you. I feel like that's so key. Um, Okay, I have just two more questions that I ask everybody. Um, So the first one is, what is something that you've been learning lately? Oh. And it can be mental health related, it could be anything. Whatever you're- Okay, I have both. So (laughs) mental health related is, um, I'm doing a 
level two of a couples therapy training online and definitely been procrastinating a little bit because <laughs> it ended up being online instead of person. And I have like few hours left. So yeah, couples, <laughs> couples therapy, it's Gottman couples method. I'm learning that. And the other thing that I'm learning that's not professional is Farsi. So my partner is Persian and um, all of his, a lot of his friends and family are Persian and they speak Farsi all the time. And I'm trying to learn that so I can communicate wow, <laughs> on, their, cool. on their level. Yeah. It's, it's a slow process and they always speak English to me, but I'm trying to learn and I have like a little um sort of like uh, what's the word like list of things in my phone basically and I try to listen to podcasts so that's so cool <laughs> yeah nice and you speak Ukrainian too right uh, yeah I do I do wow you're gonna speak so many languages <laughs> okay well we'll see I'll update you next time we talk okay sounds good um okay and then the last question is what's the biggest lesson you've learned in life so far Oh, okay. I think it's just to listen to your heart. I think I I really feel that way. I feel like I need to do what I feel I want to do and what makes me happy because that, that just like allows me to be happy and fulfilled. And that's why I'm so passionate about mental health. But I think Mm -hmm. listening to what my heart is telling me, if I want something not to restrict myself or like find my way to do that thing, despite what society or like my dad is telling me not to do (laughs) you know I'm gonna do the thing that makes me happy because it's my life (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes oh I I feel like that would probably be like probably be my answer to to that question (laughs) like just not listen to what other people not ignore them but like learn to tune more into myself and not so much the opinions of other people I need to listen to my own heart I like that one (laughs) yeah and it's hard it's not an easy thing but Mm -hmm. you can you can practice and do it more (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah I yeah I like that I'm trying to practice it now like do my parents want me to go and be a surfer (laughs) in Chino no they don't (laughs) (laughs) but you're doing it anyways and you're gonna be so happy and fulfilled from doing it I hope so (laughs) well if you don't do it and you have this idea that you want to do it it's like it just gets stuck in your head and then and then what like how many years down the line you're like shoot I really wish I did that and then you have regret like I just don't I don't believe in regret Mm -hmm. yeah me too. And I feel like if I do like, well, I am going and if I have a bad time while I'm there, like at least I'll know that I tried it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You're not going to regret. I don't think you'll regret it. You, you will learn from it and you will grow from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Girl, you're so wise. <laughs> <laughs> you have a calming, soothing voice too. Oh, wow. That's so nice. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice to talk about something I'm so passionate about and also like reconnect with you. Yeah, I know. It's been so great.